0: as you listen to this week's message from Pastor Adam Camp. Before I begin this morning, I want to just kind of affirm something. I know all of you have probably heard of the Roe v. Wade decision that came down from the Supreme Court these last couple of days. I just want to say three things. I want you to hear me say three things this morning. Number one, uh, we celebrate this ruling, that for the first time in almost 50 years, it's no longer seen as a constitutional right uh, to abortion. We affirm that life begins at conception And now we pray for the states because it goes back to them, right? They get to make the decision for themselves. We pray for the state of Georgia and for their leaders, for other leaders as well. But we want to celebrate that. But here's the second thing I want you to hear me say this morning. If you are a woman who has experienced abortion, you've gone through that personally, or maybe you're contemplating that, you're in some process right now, I want you to know that there is hope and there's forgiveness in Christ, One of the lies, and I'm just telling you, one of the lies you're told is that people that go through abortions never think anything else about it. You're lied to when you're told that there's no baggage, there's no problems down the road. I can tell you from personal experience and the counseling sessions I've had with people, when a woman has an abortion, and then many years later when she gives birth to her child and has a family, she remembers in a very different way what she experienced, and there's a lot of pain and heartbreak that comes along with that. You need to understand there is still forgiveness in Jesus Christ. And you need to understand if you're in the middle of this and you think this is your only option, there is hope in Jesus Christ as well. And I want you to know that as a church, we are willing to help you. We're willing to walk beside you and counsel with you. we got ministers that would love to meet with you. I'm happy to meet with you personally. It can be in total confidence. Nobody else has to know about it, but I'm happy to help you think through And pray through this so you can make a wise decision. And then the third thing I want you to hear me say this morning is that we set up, not because of this, but the the leading of the Lord. I think the timing is perfect, though. We set up an adoption fund several months ago to help offset the costs for families that are interested in adoption. So if you're interested in adopting, if you are thinking about this, If you're contemplating, praying about this, but money is a problem for you, we have lots of money set aside, we're willing to help you, okay? Money should not be a problem if you want to adopt. You come see me, come talk to me, I'll put you in touch with the team that handles this. They can help you understand the process and we'd love to get with you so that you can adopt if this is what the Lord's calling you to do, okay? Now, turn your Bibles to Exodus chapter 32. I want to delve in this morning. We got a lot to talk about, a lot of cool things happening at this church, this Christmas outreach. I'm just telling you, man, I'm so excited about this. You're going to hear a lot more about it. I've literally been praying about this for years. And as we get kind of closer to time, I'm going to kind of let you in on what the Lord's done already and how he's at work. you, You be in prayer about that. You be in prayer about how we can reach our community this Christmas with this outreach. Uh, you also be in prayer for what's going on right now, right? We had a great week last week at Rockridge. A lot of salvations. A lot of lives were changed because of our efforts there, because of what the Lord did. We've got another opportunity now at Canvaola. We've got a whole nother week to share the gospel with children, right? We, we do all the things we do. All the time and effort and resources and money and all the things that we do happen so that we have an opportunity to share the gospel. Whether that's Sunday morning or Wednesday night or at Rockridge or Camp Viola or down at Pine Mountain or whatever the case may be, all the things we do are done to bring glory to the Lord so we can share the message of Jesus Christ. We got another chance this week. We got counselors that will be there all week. That'll be ministering these kids, talking to these kids, praying with these kids. You be in prayer that the Lord will speak to these children and lives will be changed. What a great opportunity the Lord has given us. We wanna take full advantage of that opportunity. Now, we're continuing this morning in Exodus chapter 32. We're kinda winding things down with this book. We've been studying this now for, for a number of months where we're coming toward the end. But we're not done yet. So let me just kind of remind you of where we've been, help you understand where we're going, right? The Lord's done a lot of neat things with the people of Israel. He brought them out of captivity, led them through the Red Sea, has brought them into the wilderness, given them the Ten Commandments, led them to the place of of hearing from Him. The Lord has done great things. And now last week, we talked about how He's going to begin to use His people He's going to gift them, he's going to call them, he's going to equip them to actually build this tabernacle. Remember now, we are the hands and feet of Jesus. I mean, the Lord could have very easily spoken the tabernacle into existence, but what he did instead is use sinful people like me and like you in order to accomplish his purposes, right? So he's doing great things He's using these people for his honor and for his glory. And yet we're going to see this morning, even in the midst of all he's done, even in the midst of his goodness and all he's accomplished, we're going to see sin raise its ugly head and, watch, corrupt the thinking and the actions of these people. That's how sin usually starts. It starts with a thought. It starts with a desire. It leads oftentimes to some sort of an action. And then ultimately, what we'll see this morning is sin always leads to death. So let's jump right in this morning. Exodus chapter 32, beginning in verse 1. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, remember, he's been up on the mountain. The Lord's been speaking to him, giving him the dimensions of the tabernacle, how it's going to be built who he's going to use to build it, right? When they saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron, who was left in charge, and said to him, up, like get up Aaron, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Now we're going to stop there this morning. I want you to see kind of how this sin begins And we're really going to look at kind of the progress of sin and three ways that even today we still struggle with sin. So here's the first one I want you to see. Number one, we see the sin of doubt. Now that word doubt could be lack of faith, uh, lack of trust. There's a lot of ways you could phrase that. But the big picture we're getting here is that the people doubted that the Lord was going to do what he said he was going to do. The people doubted that the Lord was going to work. The people doubted that the Lord was still moving. The people doubted what he had done up to this point, and they didn't think that he could continue to lead them out of the wilderness into the promised land. And so, what do the people do? They start to grumble. They start to ask questions Where's Moses? What happened to Moses? Why didn't he come down and save us? Where's the Lord? What's going on here? Why are we out in the desert? Why don't we have food? Right, the grumbling and the complaining and the whining and the doubting. And here's what we begin to see about these people. Right, Moses has been gone. The Bible tells us for 40 days. When he comes back down, we're going to see how he responds. But in those 40 days, sin begins as a thought begins in grumbling, leads to this place of untrust, of unfaithfulness, of doubt. And what we begin to see with these people is that really they're impatient with what the Lord's doing. Why doesn't Moses come down now? Why doesn't Moses fix this now? Why doesn't the Lord give us what we need now? Here's what we need to understand about Scripture. We see this time and time again. God doesn't promise to show us our entire life ahead of us all at once what he does promise is to give us the next step along the way that's hard for us right because we want it right now we're, we're real good and I, maybe i should just speak for myself i'm real good about praying something to the lord lord i'd really like you to work in this situation i'd really like you to fix this or work here or do this i'll give you a week lord you got a week and at the same day next week i'm coming back to you it's not fixed i'm <laughs> i'm taking it back because I don't really have time to wait on this, right? So we're impatient. We want the Lord to work right now. When he doesn't, we get frustrated, right? Grand scheme of the world, it's 40 days here, not a long time. But these people doubt, they question, they're impatient. They want to know the whole future. And the Lord's saying, listen, just give me the next day. Just give me the next step. Just trust me with the next decision. Psalm 119, 105, I love this verse. Your word speaking to the Lord is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. But I mentioned Rockridge this last week, and, and I love Rockridge. I love going to Rockridge. But if you don't know anything about Rockridge, it's a camp in Franklin, kind of out in the wilderness. I mean, there's really nothing around camp. It's woods. It's kind of as far as you see. You go up on the mountain and all you see is woods. It's beautiful over there. But when you kind of step away from the lighted paths or the the buildings or the dorms, it's really dark over there. And there were a couple of times this week late at night where I needed my phone, right? I got my little phone out and my flashlight on my phone, and I turn it on so I can kind of see where I'm walking. And the thing about a, a, a light or a flashlight or a torch or whatever lamp is that it illuminates just a little bit around where I'm standing. So my flashlight gives me five, you know, maybe 10 feet ahead. or It doesn't give me a mile down the road. It's not strong enough to do that. And so what do I do? I just kind of walk along and I take the next few steps knowing that it's going to kind of light my path as I'm going, but it's not going to give me the light all the way on my destination yet, right? It's like that with our walk with the Lord. We want to know what the next 10 years hold. And it'd be great, man. I'll stand in line. I'll be head of the line for the Lord to give me a sheet of paper that lays out the next 10 years. This person's going to say this and when they do, you do this. And then I need you to go over here and do that. And it's just really clear what I need to do, Lord. I'll do it. But that's not how the Lord works. The Lord says, I'm not going to give you the next 10 years. What I will give you is the next couple of steps. And when you demonstrate your trust in me and you're faithful to take this next step, guess what, Adam? I'm going to give you the next step. And I'm going to take that step. And the word of the Lord becomes a lamp into my feet and a light into my path. Yet how often are we impatient? How often do we doubt How often do we say, Lord, the next couple days isn't quiet enough. I need the next few weeks at least, maybe a couple of months or a few years. I need to know what's coming up. I need you to work more quickly. I need you to do things on my time frame. And the Lord says, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to work in my time frame. And as I'm doing it, watch, I'm going to build your trust in me. So if I gave you the next 10 years, it'd be easy. I'm going to give you the next step. And you're going to have to focus on me. You're going to have to listen to me. You're going to have to trust me. Now, here's kind of the irony of this. This is the most interesting part, in my opinion. As these people are grumbling and questioning and losing faith in the Lord, he is literally at the top of the mountain speaking to Moses, explaining how he's going to save them. Isn't that cool? Like as they're questioning, the Lord is quite literally at work on their behalf. How about some application for us? Lord, I don't know if I can trust you, man. I'm not quite sure you do enough. He's quite literally at work for you right now. You just got to trust him. You just got to be patient. You just got to be faithful and allow him to work. Here's how one writer explained it. He said, this is how sin happens. We fall into sin when we fail to trust that God knows what he's doing and try to work things out on our own. Instead of waiting for him to do something according to his own time frame, we try to speed things up. By setting the agenda, what we are really trying to do is take control from God. What we ought to do instead is wait for him to work. So we see this sin of doubt. Back to verse 1. I want you to notice what happens next. When the people saw that Moses delayed, there's the time frame. To come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. Right? They doubted that the Lord could really do this. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has happened or what has become of him. Verse 2. So Aaron, this is the guy in charge, said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives and your sons and your daughters. Bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears, brought them to Aaron, and he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. That's a lie and they all knew it, but that's what they said. Verse 5, When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord, and they rose up early the next day, offered burnt offerings, and brought peace offerings, and the people sat down to eat and drink, and rose up to play right so the sin of doubt, the sin of not trusting, the sin of unbelief leads to number two the sin of idolatry the sin of idolatry right these people are doubting. They're not trusting. They're losing patience. So, what do they do? They go to Aaron and they say, You need to get up. You need to make us some gods to go before us. You need to make us some false idols. Now, it's very easy for us to kind of look at this and maybe forgive these people. They're they're living in the desert. They're wandering. They're confused. They didn't quite know what to do. Well, let's back up a little bit. Let's be reminded. After the Lord had given Moses the Ten Commandments, the Bible tells us in Exodus 24-3 that Moses came and he told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules and all the people answered with one voice and said, all the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Now, the Ten Commandments were clear. In fact, let me read you the first few verses of Exodus 20, just so you can be reminded of what the Lord had commanded them. Exodus 21, 20, verse 1 says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Right. So when they said these are the gods that are going to bring us out, they're lying and they know it. God has already done it. He's already demonstrated it. He's already, already explained it to them. Verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. They broke that command. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. They broke that one as well. So we see this idea, right? Let's kind of think about this for a second. Let's, let's process through this. It didn't take them long to lie and to falsify and to set the things of the Lord aside in order to do what they want to do. But watch what's happening. This is important for our application here. It wasn't that they didn't know. They just chose not to do. That hits me square between the eyes. My sin in life isn't because I don't know. <laughs> I just choose not to do, right? We we live in that world. I know it's right, Lord. I know this is what you taught. I know this is what you commanded. But, man, this feels good over here. Or my friend's doing this. Or this is going to get me ahead at work. Or somebody's going to think more highly of me. If I, do, I know it's wrong. Your word is clear. I've learned it. I get it. I know, I know what I'm supposed to do. I'm just not going to do it, right? And that's the struggle with sin, isn't it? For the vast majority of us, it's not about not knowing. It's about deciding not to do And so what we do in our lives is we create these idols. We create these other things that are more significant in our mind than the things of the Lord. This shiny thing over here is more important to me than my obedience to Christ. This decision I'm going to make over here matters more to me than my decision to follow the Lord. Now, I want you to understand what, what idolatry is here, right? So let me just kind of define this for you. We could, we could talk about idolatry as like creating these false images and worshiping, the, worshiping these things instead of Lord. And that is true. In fact, I had the opportunity this week at Rockridge to kind of do a mission segment with these kids. And they rotated through and spent probably about 20 minutes with me in large groups. Man, the questions from these kids were incredible, And they were really challenging. I had a really good time talking and interacting with these kids. But I talked about India, and I talked about what's happening with India, and I showed them some of the altars and some of the statues and the false idols that are there. And so we think about idolatry, and we think about false idols, and we see that in America and in other parts of the world. That's easy for us to see and understand. But I want to define idolatry for a second the way the Bible defines it. I want you to listen to what the Bible says about idolatry. Psalm 106, you don't have to look there, but I want you to listen. Verses 19 and 20. They're talking about the people of Israel. The psalmist is talking about wandering through the wilderness. Here's what the scripture says. They made a calf, this is the the, the false idol, in Horeb and worshiped a metal image. Here's how he describes it. They exchanged the glory of God for the image of an ox that eats grass. Right, idolatry is basically exchanging the glory of God for something else. Right, God deserves our worship, God deserves our praise, God deserves our glory. We're going to exchange that, and instead we're going to give something else our worship, something else our praise, something else is going to get the glory, right? We've exchanged it. That's exactly what Paul says in Romans chapter 1. By the way, side note, if you want to kind of understand what's happening in our our country currently today, read Romans chapter 1. Just spend some time, man. Spend this week reading through, praying through, pondering Romans chapter one. Here's what Paul says in verse 22. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And here's the word. And exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Verse 24 of Romans chapter one. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to dishonoring their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged, there's a word again, the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. Idolatry, very simply, is when we exchange the glory of the Lord for something else. We put something else ahead of the Lord, right? For a lot of us, it's money possessions, fame, power, status, physical appearance, entertainment is a big one for us, right? Comfort, we way more rather be entertained and comforted than challenged by the word of God. For a lot of us, it's our phones, right? Our phones have become a pretty big idol for us. I don't know if y'all have this on your phone, but I have mine that every week, it gives me kind of this summary of the number of hours I spend on my phone every week. It's shocking to me sometimes, like, I could not have spent that much time on my phone, but we do, right? It's, it pacifies us a lot of times, right? Go to a restaurant, right, I, I, I meet people for lunch a lot of times, and it's not uncommon for me to get there first. It's weird to sit in a restaurant and just sit there and not do anything for five minutes. Weird. It's, if I just sat here for a few seconds and didn't say anything, it'd start feeling weird. Kind of uncomfortable, right? So what do we do? We get our phone, right? It's pacifying us. It it takes up our time, right? It becomes, if we're not careful, an idol, right? Paul argues this. Psalms argues this. We see this in Exodus 32. When we exchange the goodness and the greatness and the glory of the Lord and worship things other than the creator, we are engaged in idolatry, right? Here's what one writer says about it. The reason we struggle is because the sin is in our hearts. That's important. We're going to come back to that. Not in the refrigerator or on the magazine rack. Why did the Israelites worship a cow? Because they'd never entirely forsaken the gods of Egypt. They'd promised to serve the Lord their God, but in their hearts they still cherished their old idolatry. Sin is ultimately a heart issue. We think it's about our actions and it ultimately leads to actions. But sin is about our heart and it's about our thoughts. It's about the way we interact with the Lord and the things of this world. And so we see this idea of the thoughts and the doubts and the timing. We're just not trusting the Lord leads us to this place. We can't fully trust the Lord. We've got to now create these idols within our lives. We've got to create these other things that we can worship that make us feel good, that we can put our hope and faith in because we're not putting them in the things of the Lord. We better put them in these idols. We kind of see the progression of where this leads. And I want you to notice now, Moses is gonna come down from the mountain. Look at verse 15. I want you to notice what happens here. So Moses turned and went down from the mountain. Now he hadn't seen any of this yet. With the two tablets, the Lord's already told him what's happening, but he hadn't seen it with his own eyes. With the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, tablets that were written on both sides, right? He's literally carrying down the tablets of the Ten Commandments. On the front and on the back, they were written. The tablets were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God, engraved on the tablets. So when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said, they're coming down the mountain he hears something off the distance. He says to Moses, there's a noise of war in the camp. But he says, it's not the sound of shouting for victory or the sound of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing that I hear. And as soon as he came near the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned hot, and he threw the tablets out of his hands, broke them at the foot of the mountain, Verse 20. And he took the calf that they had made and he burned it with fire. That wasn't enough. He ground it to powder. That wasn't enough. He scattered it on the water. That wasn't enough. He made the people of Israel drink it. Man, this guy's not playing right now. You imagine coming home and your kids are watching something else? Really, you take the DVD and you ground it up, and mash it up, and put it in the water and make them drink it, right? I'll show you. Never watch a DVD again without my permission. Moses is angry. He's mad, verse 21. And Moses said to Aaron, why did this people do to you? What did this people do to you that you have brought such a great sin upon them? Right. Moses goes to Aaron because Aaron's in charge. Now watch, watch. Aaron said to him, let not the anger of my Lord burn hot. You know the people that they're set on evil. For they said to me, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this, Moses, the man who brought us out of this land of Egypt, we do not know what has happened because of him, what has become of him. So I said to them, let any of you, let any who have gold take it all. So they gave it to me, and I threw it into the fire, and out came this calf. Right? We've seen the sin of doubt. We're uncertain. We don't trust. We don't believe. We've seen this sin of idolatry when we don't believe When we don't trust, when the timing's not right, we exchange the glory of the Lord for other things. Here's the third thing we now see the sin of blame. Sin of blame. Remember, Aaron was in charge, he was left to lead these people, and on his watch, they fell into idolatry, and he made the idol. How many times when sin has manifested itself in our lives, do we blame somebody else? <laughs> Man, that's so easy to do. Well, Lord, did you, you hear what my wife said to me yesterday? She deserved it. Lord, you hear what my husband did to me? He deserved it, right? Can you believe, Lord, how my children responded to me when I came home? And I, was, I needed to talk to them, I needed to yell at them like that, right? Can you believe what she did or what he did or what they did? We, we blame. Adam and Eve did the same thing. Blamed each other, blamed the devil. We need to kind of get to this point. This is significant for us. I want you to hear this. You need to understand. You and you alone are responsible for your sin. Period. Full stop. Now, other people around you may be doing things wrong too. And you may not like what they're doing. But the Lord's not going to hold you accountable for their actions. The Lord's holding you accountable for your own actions, right? And so even if your wife did something she shouldn't have done, even if your husband did something he shouldn't have done, even if your children, even if the boss, even if the secretary, fill in the blank, whatever, even if the teacher, the coach, the, the student, whatever, even if this person acted in a way that was inappropriate or sinful or wrong towards you, God's going to hold you responsible for the way you respond and for your actions, Man, and the quicker we get to that point of understanding, the better off we're going to be following and trusting the Lord. It's not what Aaron does. Aaron says, well, you know what they do, you know what they say, you know how they're harsh. No, 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 Aaron, you're the one that led them. God's going to hold them responsible, I promise you, for what they did, but he's going to hold you responsible for your actions and the way you led. So we have to get to this point of responsibly understanding our sins Taking responsibility for our actions and watch. Through the power of the Lord, removing sin from our life. Now, I'm going to give you four things very quickly that will help you remove sin from your life. These are biblical things the Bible teaches you should be doing to remove sin. Now, look, let me be clear up front. I'm speaking to believers right now. If you've never prayed to receive Jesus Christ, it's a different sort of discussion for you because you start with salvation in Jesus Christ. That's where you start. But if you've already followed Christ, if you've already trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then I'm talking to you just for a few minutes. How can you eliminate sin in your life? Number one, understand that sin is real and believers still struggle with it. The Bible teaches that sin leads to death. It always has. It always will. It could be spiritual death. It could be emotional death. It could be physical death. It could be a combination of those things. But sin, if it continues, will lead to death, right? It's very real. And just because you're a follower of Jesus doesn't mean you're immune to it. In fact, as a follower of Jesus, you're still going to struggle with sin. Here's what Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. Paul, now, that wrote the majority of the New Testament, says this. Not that I have already obtained this, Or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made it his own. Right? Sin is very real. We're gonna struggle with it. We need to take responsibility for it. We had the opportunity this past couple of nights. We were in Birmingham on Friday night. My sister lives in Birmingham and and her husband and children. And my kids and, and your cousins, they love each other. They don't get to see each other a lot. But when they do, they just enjoy the time. And so for Christmas this year, we gave the young, she has two kids and my younger two kids, we gave them tickets to the Dude Perfect tour. How many of you know who Dude Perfect is? Anybody heard of Dude Perfect? A few of you? Yeah, okay. If you don't know, ask, ask a middle schooler. They'll tell you, I promise. Ask, ask a high schooler. Long story short, Dude Perfect is a group of five guys that started off, they were college roommates, they started off by doing silly trick shots with basketballs and videoing themselves. Without YouTube, Dude Perfect would not exist in a very real way, right? So they started doing these silly trick shots. They have ballooned. I I looked it up. They made like $25 million last year making videos on YouTube, right? So it's... (laughs) YouTubing is a real deal, right? It's real. You may think it's silly, but it's real. So they've got this tour now. They travel around. We went for two hours. We watched them. They did trick shots and silly videos and listen I was in Birmingham this arena was filled up probably 15,000 people watching this performance right but they get to the end of the show and this is what I love about Dude Perfect this is why I love my kids Jonas loves them Uh, they likes watching them this is why I love Dude Perfect at the end of the show they finished all their silliness and all their tricks and they said listen we're done with our show but we're going to take a quick water break And we're gonna come back in five minutes. And when we do, we're gonna share something that's really, really important to us. We'd love for you to hear it if you wanna stay. So they go back, nobody leaves, of course. And we've been there two hours, may as well stay five. I knew what they were gonna say. They come out, man, and those guys present the gospel in a clear way. It wasn't, you know, love the Lord and He's good and He's love. It was Jesus Christ came to this earth. He died on the cross for your sins. You need to repent and trust him. It was amazing. Man, I'm clapping. I was just crying over there. It was this is an amazing moment because these guys have a witness with these kids. You know the impact they're making on these middle school boys and girls? Huge, eternal impact. But one of the things he said I loved he said, Listen, we're called dude perfect, but we're far from perfect, we're sinful. Right, and our identity is not in these silly videos. Our identity is not in these basketball shots. Our identity is not in you. Our identity is in Jesus Christ. And I love how he just took responsibility for his actions, responsibility for his sins, like we need to do, man. We need to understand sin is real, it's something we're going to battle with first. But here's the second thing know that you can defeat sin, it's real. You're going to struggle, but you can defeat it. Romans 6, 6 says, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to our sin. You see that? It is real. It is a struggle. But through Christ, we can defeat it. Number three, if you're going to eliminate sin in your life, cultivate habits that lead you toward the Lord prayer and if you're struggling with sin increase your prayer life if you're struggling with sin increase your bible intake if you're struggling with sin fast if you're struggling with sin evangelize tell somebody else about jesus on and on the list goes cultivate within your life things that will lead you closer to the lord and then finally if you're going to eliminate sin in your life confess your sins regularly and ask the lord to strengthen you first john 1 9 says and this is for believers. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The people of Israel ignored the glory of the Lord, just like we do. They failed to trust him, just like we do. They created false idols in his place, just like we do. And we, we struggle with the same things Today. Are you caught in this pattern of sinfulness? Maybe you're caught in this pattern of disobedience. Maybe you've stepped away from the Lord and are now bound and controlled on some level by some sin. Here's what you need to understand. Very simply, very clearly, you need to repent. You need to ask the Lord for forgiveness and you need to turn again to Jesus. Right? God has great things in store for you. All you need to do is trust and obey. Let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We thank you that you have demonstrated through this account and exodus of your goodness and even in your goodness how sin can take hold and change us and lead us to do things that we won't do and oftentimes how that leads us to blame others. Father, help us just to, to remove all those things. Lord, help us just to take away the sin in our life through the power of the Spirit, just to trust you more, to follow you, to repent, to turn to the things that you show us in Scripture. Father, use us to accomplish great things for your kingdom, and we'll give you all the praise and the honor and the glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.